1: Welcome to Counter Charge. I'm Matt Gilbert. I'm Steve Hildre.
2: I'm Jeremy Duval. And I'm Ralph enough As you heard, we have the man, the myth, the legend, the man that is in charge of 3rd Edition, Mr. Matt Gilbert. Matt, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me. Tonight, we are going to hopefully get a better understanding of the process that went into 3rd Edition. The first question to you is, why 3rd Edition?
1: Uh, I guess a number of reasons. Um, you know, we've uh, since 2nd since Edition, the game's obviously developed like any game does. And evolved not on on its own even if we hadn't had the the clash of kings books to introduce new things as we went you know the game games evolve as as they get out in the wild and people play them and metas bubble up and then get and then get overtaken and then you know someone else will have a a great idea and start playing a certain way and then someone will someone will uh, take up that mantle and challenge them and and so so games tend to take on a life of their own and shape shape themselves and, and into that mix we've obviously tried to introduce new units formations balance siege rules etc cetera, etc cetera. but you, you get to a point where you think okay we need to draw a line you know we need to we need to step up in terms of um, you know where, where we want the game to to be, what we want it to look like, where we want to take the model range as the next step, uh, where we want to take all the the background as the next the, you know the next step, the evolution of that, um, and as I say, the game itself. You draw a line at a point and say, okay, what what have we learnt? What do we want to carry through? Uh, what do we want to, to to polish? What couldn't we do as part of those those kind of, kind of Clash of Kings annual updates? Um, and what things do we want to get rid of? you know so polish the burrs and um, and and add some new uh, new excitement here and there how do we how do we keep the game um, that everybody knows and loves but make it different new re- refreshing um, and uh, reinvigorate it and, and kick off again for you know for for the next four or five years. so Matt, when was that decision made? because we know that some of the
3: decisions we, we you know we've heard from down on other podcast that there was always that discussion about we could do this for a for a clash of king's book, but let's save that for third, let's save that for third. And he was on countercharge a year ago talking about, we'll do that in a third. We'll do that, you know, the, the, the chariot height reduction, we'll do that in third. So when was the actual decision made to say, right, we're going third, there's no
1: more Clash of Kings books for now? About 18 months ago. But at that point, we obviously still needed to put out a Clash of Kings book because we still need to keep things going. I mean, we started obviously, you know, from from a commercial project point of view, we need to be planning 12 to 18 months ahead in terms of release schedule, even if it's the big the big picture stuff and planning quarters and things like that. So we knew we wanted to do it. And ever, ever But ever since second edition came out, when I was on, on the RC, we'd been just storing up the things that we wanted for the following edition you know, things that we couldn't get in, okay, well, let's save that. Let's stick that on the list. Let's, when, when it comes around to the next edition, that's, that's back in the melting pot. We'll consider that then. Um, And obviously that list has, has grown and, and itself evolved over time um, as, you know, as, as, as we discussed. So going into the planning for third edition, you know, I went back to the RC and said, uh, well, here's all the things that, that i want from third edition in terms of this is what i want the back this is where i want the background to go this is how i want the armies to look where's that list of yours that where you know all the things that you've learned from tournaments and your own games and everything else and the community and all the things we wanted to do before where is it and uh, you know all of those things become the kind of the the, ca- the canvas for third edition um, and then we start uh, melding them all together. What's going to work? What isn't? And then we divvied up the divvied up the tasks.
2: Is there something that you knew you wanted in third edition? Having the Clash of Kings 2019 book gave you an opportunity to essentially playtest something for third edition.
1: Not particularly that one. I mean, I know I knew we we would always wanted to do um, some seed drills. And because the RC were, at that point, they were already starting to work on what they wanted for third edition. You know, we didn't want to, there wasn't time at that point. You know, even that was, even though when they first started working on third edition, it was a year out from launch. But there was, but that book, that uh, Clash of Kings book at the time was probably only two months away. So there wasn't wasn't anywhere near time enough to get stuff that they wanted into that book to then be out and out in the wild and then come back, test it, refine it. (laughs) before it needed to go into third edition because, you know, it, it could have then fundament, fundamentally changed some things that we wouldn't have had then time to do. So it was a good good time to put Siege out because Siege is something that people have already asked for, you know, and Siege is obviously then something that we can bring back later. Um, I don't think... At their core, those siege rules, I think, are probably more than valid for, for V3 anyway. But, you know, they'll by the time we get round to them again, they'll have been out for a few years. Probably got a whole load of other ideas from, from ourselves and the community and everyone else. And we can make them even better
4: for third edition. If Dan King, on the receipt of many uh, bottles of beer, snuck me into Mantic HQ, let's say 12, 16 months ago, and I got into the uh, Ronnie's Vision Board of sort of what you guys were looking for design philosophy wise to have into third. Did you have any core principles or initial sort of themes you really wanted to see explored in third edition?
1: So you you've made the assumption there that Ronnie had anything to do with this. <laughs>
4: <laughs> he just says uh you know
1: Ted, I want to do third edition and uh he said, yeah go on then off you go. Just tell me what you're doing and don't do anything too crazy.
4: so I can imagine the the vision board in your office and Ronnie comes in with dwarf stickers. And he just puts dwarf stickers on the vision board, and that's his contribution.
1: Well, or he just draws all over it until it's completely unintelligible. So, what did we? What did we have? So, yeah, we always knew we wanted uh, the profile to look different, but that in terms of the information it displayed, rather than um, how it visually looked, the, the visual changes in the profile is that's once it's hit our uh, our graphics uh, design team. But we knew to We wanted to move things in like like unit strength and height. And, and perhaps present in a slightly different way the, the things that didn't change between the different unit sizes within a particular unit entry. Ranged weapons just clean out, clean up how they were presented, so it was clear um, that you know if, if something had if a, a weapon gave uh, vicious or piercing or something like that, that make it clear it was the weapon, not the unit that had it. You know those those kind of things clear up uh, you know make clarification around that sort of thing i certainly wanted some kind of element of random charges and no, i didn't i was very clear to the rc that i don't want it on it i don't want it as part of as a core mechanic of the game i don't want uh, random charges on everything because I, I, I don't think that's uh, makes a particularly good game personally but i do think that uh, I did want it on some units, like Berserker units, or units that were going to be slightly unpredictable, um, to add an element of of chance and unpredictability to uh, to the game, um, so that you didn't have complete Mexican standoffs or things like that. So there was a a risk and reward element for some units for some players. So that was one of the things, and you know, in general. Take, take that list of things that that, that, uh, that were wrinkles in the game that we knew about like like the bounce backs and and things like that and uh, the dominance of perhaps shooting in some in some cases and cover and height and all, all those little things that that you think you know if we if we just turn the dial um, a little bit that way, that makes it so much better um, to get get all those things in. You know, I we I, I had some ideas. The RC obviously had all all their ideas and the things that they wanted to fix, and it was just making sure that you know that they didn't go in a direction that 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 we weren't happy with. But so you know, we we trust those guys, and from a rules point of view, they pretty much wrote the rules. Um, you know, and then the, most of the direction that I gave them, other than other than the the, the few things, you know, like throwing in like like um, wild charge. Um, what else did I ask them to do? Oh, sp- uh, split on some items so that there's a points cost for different unit size for for some things uh, where where it made sense. So I, you know, I gave them little little bits of um, direction like that, but the bulk of the bulk of what of uh, my input was really. For them was on the, this is how I want the armies to look, you know, I'd go through and say, right, these are the units I want in them. This is how I want the armies to behave um, go and go make those those changes. So, you know, they had they had a, a lot to do and they've done a fantastic job. I think, you know, all our play testers have said that they don't want to go back to second. You know, they, they want to carry on playing third. Uh, which is is great to hear.
4: Yeah, that's definitely a a thing that you hear, a general excitement from those who have actually had a chance to to check out the game. So I'm curious, sort of before this period, you had been working on Vanguard, right? That's a skirmish game, and Kings of War had been doing um, the cockpacks. So what was it like for you transitioning back from working on a skirmish game to sort of, you know, arguably the flagship game for the formantic? And also no longer was it just a cock book, but it was a completely new edition. So can you talk about that sort of change or are kind of some of the challenges you foresaw or maybe some excitement you had going into the start of working on third? To be
1: honest, everything overlaps. So I'm probably working on about six different projects at once, any one time. So there's not there's not a clean break from, you know, I'm thinking about this constantly. Now I stop. Now I start thinking about this one. I'm always thinking about everything. And I got, you know, I might be halfway through one major project when another one's just starting. So there's not there's not seamless breaks there's not clear breaks rather between between it. everything's one constantly moving conveyor belt. Um, but yeah, I mean you know we, one of the things we have to consider is that you know that the Vanguard is a is a sister game to to Kings of War. So you know we, we obviously it's set in the same world. We've got a lot of the same same units, and so they needed to keep those similarities and, and working on vanguard at the 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 time vanguard was kind of coming to the end and about to be launched and everything else when we were engaging with the the rc and say okay this is really happening we need you to start writing now you know some of the stuff in vanguard was had a perhaps an eye on on some of the things that we were about to happen in in kings of war version three some things made it in some didn't so we've still we've started a list already for the uh, or uh, for what we want for perhaps future versions or Clash of Kings books, you know that kind of thing. So you know, because one of the things in Vanguard is that there are faction-specific spells. So it was on the list for Kings of War version three. We didn't have enough time to do that justice and balance it because you can, as you can imagine, that could be very hard to balance in in a mass in a mass battle game. But you know, we've got these spellcasting tiers in for on on spell casters now so we can introduce spells later through clash of kings and through who who knows you know it's not it's not a plan but maybe we do uh, some kind of spell deck or s- spell expansion magic expansion i don't know Uh, as i say that isn't planned yet but there is a possibility to do that now and balance them much better because you can limit spells to certain spell casting tiers or they can have a maybe the spell casting tier can have an influence on how that spell is cast or or its power so it's much better uh, we've got much Cleaner way of uh, of doing that now, and with the the keywords that we've introduced was uh, something we did in Vanguard first, and has and has flowed through to uh, Kings of War. We can do the same thing. So special rules, or abilities, or spells can start to be affected by uh, keywords on units as well. So there as I said, so as as we came to the end of Vanguard, some of the things that we'd explored in there did did bleed over into version three some of those some of those concepts which which is fine because as I said, they are sister games and um, you know they do feed back into each other and you'll see that in the fluff as well some of the stuff we talk about in version three is tying in with what's happening in Vanguard in the in the latest nine campaign
4: and you, you kind of mentioned it and then also Kyle's mentioned it and we've seen little bits and pieces as you guys have started to release info about some of the things you wanted to change in third some things we' are already starting to hear about that have been getting changed like the one inch bounce back. Kyle talked about on Direct Misfire, the slight change to Double Ones. So we're kind of seeing some of the changes that you guys have made philosophy-wise. Was there anything sort of on the table that you definitely did not want to change? Or were there speak a little bit more, and you mentioned it earlier, but speak a little bit sort of like to the core aspects of Kings of War you guys really wanted to see also present in version three?
1: One of the the key things we wanted to hear was from, certainly from the rules mechanics the way the game played because it because it plays so cleanly already um and uh, you know it's so concise we didn't want to break that in any way so you know one of one of the philosophies and one of the, the the guiding principles to the RC was that this is a from a rules point of view it's an evolution it's not a revolution you know we're not going to just randomly change stuff or just dramatically change things for effect or, hey, it's a whole new version. Let's rip this up and let's let's split the the movement phase into sixteen sub-phases just because we can. You know, we didn't want to. You know, there was no way we were going to do anything of that. Um, you know, what 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 isn't broken, you don't fix. So this was more about, you know, what can we what can we take away to improve things? What can we add to improve things further? And just and, and really take that take 95 percent of what we what we've got. And, and just take that and make that extra 5 or 10% the real, you know, really, really polish it and make it make it really super, super slick.
3: I'm interested, how far do you feel we you've gone now from kind of Alessio's original vision for Kings of War, that original kind of eight-page rule set, which was, you know, make it as clean and quick as you, as you can. If you're looking at version three in its, you know, totality, how far do you think you've gone from that vision? Do you think you're still quite close to it? Do you think it's a, a wholly different game?
1: I still think we're very close to it you know i don't I, I, I don't think we've gone we've added a lot more complexity at all really you know i think fundamentally it's still it's still the the game that he uh, the game that he envisaged when he, when he first wrote it um Obviously, from you know the the armies have, have morphed and changed, and you know new special rules have, have have gone in. But you know that special rules are modular; they they just plug into the framework that's already there. We've tweaked a few things here and there, and certainly you know each for you know he had involvement in version two. So you know any any changes there, he was. Uh, uh, he was kind of sanctioning and and was it was changes in line with his original philosophy. And I don't think we wandered very far from that path, if at all.
4: In general, I would say, Matt, the community is super psyched. But if you were to hear, and it's not even a critique, I guess it's more of a fear of, oh no, I love Kings of War because it is so simple. And now they're adding in all these keywords and auras. Uh, can you speak a little bit to those players who maybe have that concern or talk a little bit about how that sort of streamlinedness is still one of your primary design philosophies?
1: Things like auras, I mean, you, you already had, to a degree, you had some kind of auras in, in version 2. I mean, Inspiring is an aura. You know, then every all the models within you know, six inches of that unit get an effect. That's all auras are. Projects a special rule, you know, within six inches or whatever it is of, of that particular unit you know and then none of those are new special rules and so they're all ones that people will know anyway you know whether it's vicious or, or whatever it is so you know that's that's just a, a new way of delivering that that the a special rule that people would already know and so, you know so there shouldn't be much more complexity there it's you know that gives people more more options and choice and, and thinking in terms of deployment and the units and the, that they will go together they'll see a lot of keywords in against the units but for now hardly any of them are used they're all in for future proofing just like those spell casting tiers so that we can you know the game roll out and people start to interact with it and start to play it and understand it and that feedback comes back to to us because you know while while we've been working on this project for a year we don't know how people are going to play this game you never do the game goes out into the wild and people take it in directions that you just you just never never expected so we can use all of those keywords to slowly balance things, introduce new things, et etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, just like with those those spell the spellcasting tiers. So we've put to future proof to help evolve the game down the line and keep it balanced and, and add new and exciting things. But you know, people shouldn't worry about those those now. They're 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 in there so that you know you can, you can go in. It will feel. The few changes, as I said, to clean things up. People will go in and they'll play their games of Kings of War, and it should feel it should feel like. You know, that they've, they've never played any, any other way. You know, this is Kings of War. It'll feel like Kings of War. It'll feel like a better version of Kings of War. And, uh, you know, we're, we're really excited
2: for people to, to get hold of this and, and play it because we think they can have great fun with it. So, one of the things I wanted to ask about was about the RC. You were part of the second edition process in Uncharted Empires. And how did it change from then to now? And how do you see it changing in the future? If
1: anything, its role has, has become stronger. So you know, when when I was on the RC before, it was um, it was still very much Mantic were paid at Alessio to run the the Kings of War projects if there was a new book or anything like that, um, and the RC were brought in to help kind of sanity check and balance uh, and everything else um, around him. And then Uncharted Empires it was the first book that the RC pretty much did themselves no input at all from from alessio on that one and that kind of i guess set the set the tone for how the rc was going to going to develop and out of all of our rcs because we have them for most gaming systems you know the kings of war one has probably the most knowledge knowledgeable people on it um with the most autonomy and you know and they're the probably the most i say the most trusted but um you know, they're, 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 we're, we will give them big projects to do with quite hands off for a while to let them go figure it out and, and, uh, and come back to us with, with proposals and things like that. Obviously, we shape things and say, well, you can't do this and you can't do that. And we, we need this to look like this. But outside of that, you know, it's, we trust them with the rules for things like balance and stuff like that. You know, we, we go to them and say, does this look right? Does that look right? Uh, what do you guys think about this? yeah um you know we're we're happy for them to challenge us on things or tell us if something's stupid or something really needs to happen. so you know they've got they've got a lot of a lot of power in that regard um, which is why we were quite happy to for their or I was quite happy for them to take the lead on the rules on on version three you know they knew they knew what hap- what the game needed for me to have taken the lead on the rules wouldn't have made any sense.
2: How about down the road maybe adding a rules committee member from say Australia or Canada or cuz I know I think right now it's all UK and US based.
1: RC's we tend to go for an odd number and it's usually 3 or 5 people. I think any any bigger and it gets unwieldy. And if you've got if you've got an even number then anything that goes to a vote uh, you can obviously always tie. So, you know, it's as some, sometimes, naturally, people will drop out and then we'll replace. You know, we don't specifically target UK or US. They, they're obviously, they're the biggest player bases, so they're usually the biggest people, that, um, you know, the number of applicants for it. But uh, you know, it's, it's either people we know or that are recommended to us by other RC members, people that they think they'll get, get on with. The more diverse we can be across it geographically, the better, because then you represent more, more uh, metas and tournament scenes. But, um, you know, if 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 it if it happened that, you know, that the the best spread at one particular time was all in the US, then then so be it. You know, it's, um, it's I think it's it's the best. I want the best people in the role, not necessarily. I don't force uh, geographical diversity unless um, unless they happen to be the best people at the time.
2: So my final question about the RC is Dan King. How difficult is it to rein that guy in?
1: Not at all he's one of our sanest members. <laughs> <Yeah>. Dan, <laughs> that's worrying Dan, isn't it? Dan Dan is Dan's great for pointing things. So the, the RC have got a big master sheet which does all of the underlying points calculations for uh, for baselining units, you know, based on so they uh, you know for the and for the different unit types and different unit sizes and that's where they start from. And then they'll use that to then work out, you know, put five points here, put ten points there. The old, the the final uh, barometer of, of sanity on points is Dan because you keep adding, you keep adding points and points and points until he says, "I'll never take that." You say, "Right, well, I've gone too far." So, uh, so he, he's he's the line in the sand on 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 balancing stuff. But um, you know, all 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 of them are um, really good. All all of them aren't afraid to speak up and challenge. All of them will come up with ideas for units. All of them are ha- happy to write a little bit of fluff, you know. Um, write rules, do you know? Checking stuff over, you know, they all, all do lots of stuff. Um, on, on they, they for for third edition, they kind of assign themselves their own their own roles. Jason took the lead on the rules writing. Chris uh, Morris is currently chairman of the uh, the rc and he did a lot of the work on all of the the army lists and the units and compiling it all and pointing it all and, you know all of them have spent many 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 hours on on this stuff and have, have put a lot of effort into it and uh, you know and it's it's kind of third edition is while it's obviously a mantic romantic product it's um you know their input has been has been immense
3: definitely and i think a lot of the community definitely appreciates and is incredibly grateful for the huge amount of work that they put in um let me ask you about play testers because we know that with second edition and uncharted tempers you had quite widespread and at one point open play testing so there appears from the outside for to be far fewer play testers this time than there were with those editions was, was that a conscious decision and how did you think it affected the process
1: I think we obviously we obviously knew a lot about Kings of War and because we weren't changing things so radically we could be fairly confident that uh, in the people that we chose to play test and the RC themselves that they knew any change what you know, the impacts of any changes that they were making also you know the uh, the last edition was kickstarted, so it was kind of a community project anyway and it made sense because of the because of all the repointing that we'd done and everything that was being introduced into second edition that it needed a lot more playtesting and work on it than uh than the than the previous edition ever had it was a great way of engaging with with everyone but we felt that this you know we're well you know as As we get bigger as a company and as the game gets bigger, uh, you naturally have to run projects in a more controlled way. And as I said, we felt a lot more confident with this one anyway and the the changes we were making and the things uh, we were doing with the game that we didn't need such a, a massive playtesting uh, structure out there and it's, it's down to timings and stuff as well you know to the, the amount of effort it takes to uh, to send things out to a massive public playtest uh it is is huge you know last time i i ran it but i wasn't actually working for mantic at the time so i could i was doing that in my spare time um, and then feeding feeding it back but at, but actually even with and you know, i've seen it i've seen it with other things as well put something out to public playtest. i had it with vanguard and what it boils down to in the end is you have Maybe ten or a dozen people who are the people who are constantly playing games for you, and everyone else just comments and um, and doesn't actually do any testing. So you might as well start with 20, 30 people that are dedicated to testing, um, and stick with that core, because then you know you'll constantly be getting information. And then if you do need to go out to uh, to the wider world and just ask questions um, and get that kind of commentary back and gut feel reactions rather than you know actual hard playtest stuff. And you can do that too around the around the sides.
3: How did you go about selecting playtesters? Did you because there has to be a mix, right? Because although the tournament playing part of Kings of War is, is big and it's a huge influence on the kind of the public perceptions through the discussion boards, if you selected just the most hardcore list breaking min max kind of crowd, you would get, I think, quite a different game to the one that's played in people's houses and clubs all around the world. So how did you select those playtesters? Was it just on people that were willing to put the time in and had the expertise and knowledge?
1: Uh, it was mostly uh, recommendations by the RC. They made their recommendations, and then their, and then the the people there then got their gaming groups to to do it. Now, I'd say most most of it from a from kind of a from a balancing point of view was is certainly uh, comes from tournament scenes around the world. I think a lot of it in terms of narrative and fluff has come from us because we've said. No we want armies to play like this. These are the units that are in these armies and uh, so you know so to, from that from that point of view we were, we were dictating it from the from the non-tournament point of view. but within we know that within that, that, that mix of people, there are people that just play for fun. there aren't they aren't hardcore to- hard core tournament players. you know we do we know we've got a mix of, of people and styles and um, and armies. But I, 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 I think it is important to have that mix. But I think at the stage, the stage where you're you're wanting to put balanced lists out, you know, and things that you uh, that, that that aren't horrendously broken, you need those hardcore tournament players because you know, say so like you go into play testing and say right. Play test these things but then at some point you want to say right now now show me all your broken lists Say, so, right well how can we how can we fix those does that does that fundamentally unbalance the game with these with these things you've come up with and found if so we can make some adjustments or if we're not worried then we leave it
3: i was interested when you're saying about how the previous edition being kickstarted had quite an effect on how you were publishing because obviously it's much more of a public beta then and people are commenting constantly on how they're feeling the project is developing. And that's been a real change, hasn't it? In, in in Mantic as a company, you know, that move to releasing this as an on-the-shelf product is is quite a dramatic change and a really good change, especially for for kind of the, the local game stores. But that means, you know, that kind of more professionalism if it of the process means that they uh, the release of the rules is far more of a defined this is the official rules go. And we've got all these playtesters. And one thing I'm really interested in is how controlled is your leak process, right? Because if you've got less playtests, there's less leaks, no one's aware of the rules. So is kind of that, you know, we have Kyle and we have Dan and we have various people talking little by little by little. How much is that leak process to kind of test the waters with these changes or how much is it you, you trust the vision, you trust the rules committee and then you're, you're, you're going with that?
1: Well, the book's got to print. So anything that's coming out now, the the, the reaction's a reaction. <laughs> so, and it, you know, the... um. Uh, everything that Dan or Kyle, well Kyle works for us anyway. He works for Mantic, but you know anything that the RC are coming out with now, it's not to test the the waters and the public reaction. It's to say what is what is coming out. So obviously all 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 the play testers uh, all the way through, and all obviously all our rules committees and everything are all under NDA, so they don't, they don't discuss anything until we tell them they can and for this one you know we've been planning the the marketing rollout for for kings of war 3 for a for a long time and it's start you know it's um well it's obviously it's 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 building up now and six weeks out you know which we probably are now aren't we or soon to be um it'll start to kick in a kick in a lot more but it's it's all controlled by the marketing marketing team on what's who's saying what when we'll probably uh, start to fall apart and become a bit more free and easy with a few weeks few weeks out to go and then uh you know then people will know will know it all but um nothing nothing about the project really uh, was known outside of the RC and Mantic and the playtesters until that first um, first uh, picture went up that said uh, coming october 20 uh, 2018 2019 even
3: keeping that excitement bubbling isn't it and one of the things yeah. that that Dan said when we interviewed him at a tournament recently was that Ronnie you know his vision outside of the the marketing plan is if it gets people excited leak it and I think that's kind of, that's kind of how it's gone, hasn't it, really? It's keeping people's interest and excitement. And you see people even, you know, the, the cover for Armies of Panathor was put out, and they followed like a 50-comment thread where people are literally picking apart the image to go, ha-ha, this is what's coming, this is what's coming based on a cover. Yeah, which is
1: that, actually, that's actually not the cover, because the actual cover art I've got, is coming back to me in the next couple of weeks. So that, that's an internal piece of art that we've had to use as the mock-up for that,
3: for that uh, advert. That's really interesting. One of the things people have been commenting is that the, you know, we've heard this line about evolution, not revolution, which is obviously very welcome rules-wise, but the revision to armies definitely seemed more dramatic than perhaps the players expected. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but was that um, more dramatic revision of armies uh, an intentional choice or something that evolved through this testing process?
1: no entirely intentional so everything has got everything that went into the testing process was how i wanted the armies to to look and behave and how we wanted you know where we're taking the model range where we're taking the the law where we're moving it what we're moving it away from and so but you know even the even the changes to the to the armies uh, people are start maybe people are starting to get twitchy but they they, they needn't do your elf army still to look like an elf army you know your uh, i don't know your, your is still gonna look like your varangur army you know i've, I've, I've probably changed five percent across the board of things um you know i may there may be a unit that's, and the thing is there may be a unit that i've removed now because it 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 doesn't make sense but it may come back in a formation later you know formations are are, gone for launch but we'll bring them back when we understand how the game's being played and where the balancing needs to come in and where we want narrative to come in and things like that well so formations will be back in, in Clash of Kings book down the line and at that point we, some units that are that maybe that I may have removed temporarily now will come back as part of a formation or something like that you know so people shouldn't worry worry uh, on that regard and um, and I actually think the way we're structuring things now is is going to be far more exciting Anyway, because we've taken the we've adopted the master and themes approach from uh, that we originally did in Kings of War Historical. So all of the army lists in the core rulebook are all master lists. And then in armies of Panathor, there are also some master lists, but that's where we also start to introduce themes as well. Um, and themes will be another way that we can reintroduce um, units uh, new or new flavours of units or units that um, we thought well they don't make sense in the master list, but they'll be great in a theme later uh, to come back again. So you know, and I th- and I think from that point of view, it adds it adds even more diversity in ways that we can we can take things. Um, so just as a as an example, and this is a this this is a, a an unsanctioned leak for uh, Armies of Panathor. So the one of the armies of Panathor's army is a theme for dwarfs, and it's the free dwarfs. So the dwarf master list is essentially your imperial dwarf baseline, and then the, there's a that you can play the free dwarfs as a specific theme uh, in Armies of Panathor. Ah, so that's
3: really interesting, and and we love an unsanctioned leak. So you know people have been going wild with speculation about what the four extra armies are, but actually what we're going to see is some of that thematic element that people have been asking for, because so I think formations was kind of the start of that, wasn't it? Where you could, yeah. through a formation, see, you know, a more thematic army, but actually having a whole kind of, uh, a flavour of an existing army, but more towards the theme that you want, without it having to be kind of stifling your list, seems quite interesting uh, way to go. so I-
1: yeah, if you think, you know, as, as, as we move out, as we as we, we roll out through this edition, and, and as, as we learn, as we go, and as we bring out new... New supplements and things like that. We can add to the themes. We can add. To, we can go back to, to magic and look at perhaps you know theme specific magic or magic items or stuff like that. Um, you know we can add formations back in. So I think the di- the diversity uh, and the things that we can layer on top of that really slick, elegant rules engine is going to be really, really exciting.
3: There was a fear, wasn't there? So some people thought there was. They constantly think that you're going to get rid of those you know quote unquote non-mantic armies. You know when when you originally bought out Unchanted empires, it was you know a genius stroke of uh, release in that what you did was bring in huge numbers of Warhammer players who felt totally bereft and had this huge amount of investment into armies. But what you ended up with was a book of quite warhammer themed armies you know yeah. um and am I right in saying that kind of some of the kind of more sweeping list changes or the more dramatic changes to theme would be simply more you know, kind of manticizing those? lists because typically you know i play ratkin quite a lot but pretty much everyone except me he says has skaven right and they're skaven it's really hard to get away from skaven when they all look like skaven but actually trying to find a home for armies like ratkin and brotherhood to make them more romantic is that kind of the intention of those list building changes
1: well absolutely i mean since since uncharted empires was released all of that has become become part of the world building you know and it's not it, it they aren't uncharted anymore you know they are all of their background has been um expanded and included and is part of the third uh edition law um so that you know they are a fundamental part of the world now so they are you know and when we first wrote uncharted empires we tried to yeah you're right we took there were obviously a lot of old world warhammer themes that uh, certainly armies but we wanted to write and put a anti- Twist on them in terms of how they played, or how they were uh, portrayed, or or their backgrounds and their history. Um, and we've just we've just continued to extend that and integrate them more into the
4: into the, into the the mantic world You mentioned it a few minutes before with the idea of the imperial dwarves sort of versus free dwarves. For our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with the Kings of War historical book, when you talk a little bit about the master list and theme list that's basically dwarves will have like the basic dwarf list to choose from and then the uh, free dwarves would be like uh, additional armies you could pick in, in certain ways or permutations to give you like a more thematic dwarf list
1: your master dwarf list will look very much like your dwarf list does now Uh, there may be some slight some slight changes but then we've taken stuff out and given you more options in the theme so when you if you choose to play three dwarfs using the three dwarfs theme your master list is your dwarf list, so your theme will tell you you can pick these units from the master list, and in addition, the units below are available for you to pick as part of your theme. So there'll be things like there in there, you know, the free free dwarfs are where most of the berserkers are, so you'll have more berserker, perhaps more berserker options in the free dwarf list than you would out of your normal master list. Some of the heroes, obviously, you know, like hernias the Hunter and um, so Spheriagalax, you know, they they are free dwarfs, so they only exist in the free dwarf list so they've moved out of the master list and into the free dwarf one so you know so that's that it's those kind of things that the themes will allow you to introduce, not just with the kind of the, the, the characters and stuff, but also the, the way the army plays. Um, and obviously then you can paint them up in, in different ways as well. Uh, you know, your free dwarfs will probably be a bit more organic and greens and grays and browns and your, and obviously you've got your berserker units, so you can theme them that way. Um, and then your imperial dwarfs so are more kind of structured, rigid, you know, reds and golds and, um, 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 you know, and in the in the background, you know, we talk about we've written up about what happened to the Free Dwarfs uh, after the Edge of the the uh, Edge of the Abyss campaign. The the backgrounds moved on 10, 12 years since then. So you know, we we obviously bring bring everything up to date with what's happened between those between those times. So there's a write up on the Free Dwarfs and things like that. So you see, so you know what what's going on with the armies that you're picking.
2: Here, so let's talk a little bit about the narrative of Kings of War. Obviously, that's something you've been a big part of since your first involvement. You know, way way back. You know, rules committee, uncharted empires, and stuff. And I know that it's been mentioned that the storyline has been advanced ten years into the future. What was the reason for moving the storyline ten years in the future?
1: Uh, well, we always want to progress the the story, so you know, if, if every book we bring out will will add to uh, add to the timeline, and we'll keep progressing it. And we're going to be doing that with not just with the kings of war books and the Vanguard books as well as well as they as they come out uh, you know so the story will will move between the two we're also obviously working with uh, wing Tazar on their um, on their novels and we're doing a mix of things there we're going back in history and writing stuff uh, filling in the gaps there. Um, as well as writing contemporary books um, alongside what we're doing, and then we'll, you know, uh, at some point as well, we'll start to work with them on bigger trilogies and things like that, which help also advance the storyline in, in line with the Kings of War and Vanguard books. But um, so, you know, we're we're we want we're, we're aware that the world needs fleshing out. We've done a lot of work around that, and we've got a lot of plans for it. Um, I couldn't quite squeeze in the timeline from the creation of the world all the way to the present, which I do have uh, into the Kings of War book, but I've given that to Mark Langworthy to put into the uh, RPG book. So you know there, there'll be a number of sources of of material for people to go hunting through and and reading up on and uh, and learning all about uh,
2: Panathor. And when you look at the changes or the evolution of the story. You know, would you say it's mostly adding to the mythos, like adding, you know, obviously we're we're much bigger than Mantica now. We've got Panathor. Is it adding to that story or did you find yourself having to go back and unfortunately changing some of the things you've already said before to something different that makes, from a narrative perspective, better for the long term vision of the story?
1: The only thing I might have adjusted was around the... T- why like kin's creation but even then what had already been written almost tied in a hundred percent everything's been everything's been expanded and fleshed out rather than rewritten
2: we're going to see a bigger world i assume
1: yes so we've we've pulled back if you like from the map to so you can see more more of the um the area that we looked at before so before the map just showed kind of the area just around the the infant sea the sea that was created when uh, after the war with winter when the when the flooding uh, happened and all the ice melted obviously that affected the entire world but um you know it obviously had a big impact on uh, on the area known as Mantica or, um, there's now you know the north of the infancy is now upper mantica and south is lower mantica so we've pulled away from that so you can see more of the surrounding surrounding areas. So you can see further up into the into the north, into the south, all the way down to um, you can just start to see the Southern Rift on the on the map, which is uh, an area that the uh, Twilight Kin are doing something fairly nefarious in, um, and you can see much further across the. Um, Across the sea to the to the west, and much more dwarf lands and, and things, and you, even even Hailthorn, which is right on the edge of the original Salamander Empire, And that's crept onto the map as well. You know, and as 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 we move and as we evolve, you know, I already know what I want for where the story is going to be heading and, and kick off in the next edition of uh, of the game, um, where we'll pull back even further, quite a way back actually, and what's coming then. So you know, I've got I've got the story mapped out from the work that clint is doing at the minute on writing up on the god war uh all the way through to and beyond for the next edition of the game and beyond so i've got big story arcs set up
3: that's pretty exciting And one of the things that i think has really changed is is bringing in some of the other elements of storytelling isn't it so it's not just through the core rule book and you know the rpg is one way of doing that and also the stuff that winged Hussar is doing is part of that i know you know previously uh, some of the novels were just kind of like one-offs and they were sent out there and we had a brief conversation on Facebook about how some of those old novels perhaps aren't as, as canon as people thought they were. Is that part of your wider plan? How much of that narrative are you planning to release through like novelization and how much of it is going to be part of rule sets? So, you know, what's what's your plan in terms of that story arc?
1: For the the kind of the big story pieces where we want where we want things specifically told, um, we'll go back to winter Are and say we want someone. This is this is the story we want we want telling. Who have you got for that? And then we'll work with that author and um, and we'll say these are the things we want you to to. To sell to, to tell to, to talk about these are the characters we want and what we want them to happen to them come back with us for your ideas of how how are you going to do that how you're going to tell that story so you know we've, we've gone back and we're doing that in the in in kind of the kind of the prehistory of the world and we'll do that and um, then down as we go along, along in the next few years we'll start to do that with uh, the big stories as we roll them out for the the stuff that's coming up around that they'll They'll just come and pitch stories, and like for minor characters in the world, or a particular, I don't know, some vanguard war band they want to write about in a particular here. That so there's not a world changing event or anything like that, but it makes a cool story and helps helps build characters and, and things that people can perhaps relate to in the world. You know, they're they're free to kind of do those themselves as long as they stick within the law and you know don't make stuff up um unless it's was minor stuff but you know the um that that's that's all fine so people they can they're always pitching ideas for we'd like to do a you know Two books on the, I don't know the the Basileans, or we'd like to write the story of this underwater fight here, or something like that. It's like okay, fine, you know that's um, you know they're not world-shattering or world-changing events. You know, we'll we just dictate those ones, um, but you know it is not and it's, it's it's board games as well. So obviously, Dungeon Saga ties in with all of this. So Dungeon Saga, the events in Dungeon Saga are now mentioned in the King's War background because of course it will happened in there obviously we've already seen the characters come across um from Dungeons argue you know, those those heroes. Of uh, an owl mentioned where they are in the world now. So you know, Orlaf the Barbarian, you know, came back from the the, the defeat of Mortibris, you know, and uh, fame got a bit to his head, you know, and eventually, you know, he ended up a, a real down and out until an emissary a guy called Clarion, who's the um, the head scald of the the Northern Alliance, found him uh, in the city of the Golden Horn and said, "No, it's time, it's time you came home." And orlaf has gone back to Chill, and he's now the kind of the almost the um, the shield champion of Talinar himself. So, you know, we're, we're integrating all of those things in and with the, the League of Infamy that's coming up as well. You know, that's that will start to become a, a key theme as well in uh, as part of the world building. So throughout all of the games, everything's starting to tie together and themes all, and, and threads all, will flow through them all.
2: Did any of the new story additions, did they imprint, you know, new models, new kits, new armies, new designs? Do, are we going to see some stuff from this, these new additions?
1: Yeah, so we've got stuff stuff planned in the future, as I said, all the way up to so I know what I know what I want for the next uh major launch of uh, of of Kings of War in however many years we uh, we do that. Um so I you know and and from from now till then I've got um I know Roughly, my big big blocks I want to do in terms of armies and and um, and units and, and and things like that. And Obviously, from a, a drill down detail point of view, I know perhaps twelve months or a bit more ahead, and after that, it's it's kind of big blocks which which may move around. But um, yeah, and it, you know we've we've got cool ideas for. For, for armies, for units, for how they tie into the story uh, and everything else. So we're, we're going to try and make it much more, much more integrated and much more like it looks like we know
4: what we're doing. So with third edition coming out, feels to me like a, a really strong, cohesive narrative that you guys are trying to get out with the, you not only are coming on Countercharge, which we love, but you guys have been going on some of the other podcasts. Kyle's been doing his weekly army videos, it's no longer a Kickstarter, it's now an in-store release. So in many ways it feels like third edition, not only does Mantic seem to be growing as a company, but the way that you do product releases is growing. So is that something that's sort of in the back of your mind, kind of like a conscious effort as you guys are moving forward, which is to refine that marketing base, refine not only the rules and products you're creating, but how you sort of build the hype in the community over future releases?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously we, we learn as with every project on what, what did work and what didn't work on marketing or anything like that. And with, with something the size of Kings of War, you know, it, it needs to it needs to be marketed well, it needs to be delivered well. But, but even more so because we're not doing it inside of Kickstarter. I mean, Kickstarter will do 80 to 90 percent of your marketing for you just, just by because it's Kickstarter. You know, when you're not doing Kickstarter, you've got a hell of a lot of heavy lifting to do yourself to build all that hype so you know that part of the, the whole project from the beginning was how do we how do we build that hype and how do we how do we make sure that people know it's coming and what's coming and be excited for it and want them you know want to buy it at launch how do we kickstart this without kickstarter Uh, you know is is the thing you know and 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 we'll learn from this and we'll have got some things wrong and we'll have got some things right and yeah and it'll it'll, all feed back into future projects
4: you know ronnie had mentioned when we had we did a series of uh shows with you guys when vanguard was coming out and at that point he was sort of kind of dealing or uh, talking about that that idea right of is it time for us to grow past kickstarter and start doing more store releases you kind of clue us into what was there a dialogue when third was getting ready that it was gonna be from the beginning oh this is definitely a store release or was there thoughts of maybe doing it as a Kickstarter or what was sort of the, the final thinking you guys had when choosing not to do a Kickstarter
1: I don't think we ever seriously thought it was going to be a Kickstarter I think we thought it was if, out of all of the things we did it was the one that we could probably you know it, there's a, there was enough players and a big enough, uh, big enough customer base we could take that r- commercial risk if you like and do it, it uh, outside of Kickstarter obviously that that means that there's a lot of a lot of resource gone into this that's not guaranteed but you know we you know if if any game was going to was going to do it for us it was going to be this one you know for for other things we will use Kickstarter where we need to you know and we'll not use Kickstarter in situations like this where we where we don't need to so you know it's it's a tool to use like like anything else but um you know King Kings of War was in a in a place where we felt that we you know we could We could confidently do it ourselves.
3: You spoke briefly before about, you know, your vision and all that kind of stuff. And it's actually really exciting to hear how kind of bursting with ideas, both you and kind of the, the, the rules committee and everyone, is for the game. And that's quite exciting. During the process to create third edition, was there anything left on the cutting room floor that you kind of you wish would have made it in, but you didn't quite have room to squeeze?
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot, I'd have liked to have done a lot more models, but we just don't have the capacity or the, or the or the or the you know the capital to do that. We are still, despite what people think of the size of us, you know, there are only twenty eight of us in the in the company. You know, we're probably a hundred times smaller than GW you know when GW do a big launch they'll launch it with tons of plastic kits and new armies come out and the whole army comes out at once we just we just can't do that i'd absolutely love to do that so yeah i i i didn't get as much product out as i'd like obviously i'd love to have put tons out but you know that's just not just not practical for us so we put out what we thought was going to be really exciting really cool work well with the release and then you know we think we've got a really exciting plan for, of, of things coming out and as i said before things like faction spells i'd like to have put those in now but you know it was just it was just wasn't practical um and would have caused i think too many issues and it was a something that we've we've parked to do later and think about later so it was not one of those things that was was dropped completely it's like okay we don't have time but let's let's future proof this game so that we can put something like it in uh, down the line or or something or something similar so yeah there's loads loads more i would have liked to have done but um you know it's time and money and
2: and being sensible army construction is that changing at all i mean are we still going to have the unlocking system where regiment hordes unlock your troops and your heroes you know that kind of thing is that that still in the game or is it changed fundamentally in any way
1: no, there's no fundamental changes there. So that's all that's all still still there. And we've got um, you know we've got a double page spread in the book where one side if you've got it in words and then on the the, the other the right hand page you've got it in diagrams too, so you can kind of visually visually see it as well. Uh, but fundamentally that that hasn't changed, no.
2: That's one of the things I think a lot of people getting into Kings of War for the first time really appreciate. If they were coming from fantasy or other game systems, how about irregular troops? Are we going to see more units designated with the irregular tag, or you think it'll be more of the same thing, where you may have the occasional shooter that 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 has that tag?
1: Yeah, I think some of the some of the shooting units have got it where we felt that they were taking too many of them. You didn't want to, you know, you you got you got a balance between things that are getting spammed too much, so they're destabilizing how you want the game to behave and portray itself as a mass battle system um and then but you don't want to necessarily nerf the unit because the unit in its in and of itself is is fine and uh, behaves the way you want to it's just so you just have to look at how you restrict the, uh the number of times that can be taken or the way it can be taken so yeah that was part of the process of looking at things you know what what can we stick making regular or what can we what can we change or what can we you know there's there's you know it'd be unlikely if this unit would be taken in a horde so let's 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 take that option away that kind of thing just to kind of as I said before just like with the rules where you're just polishing those you know just rubbing those burrs off around the edges just just the same thing with all the lists just going back and reshaping them and and uh, and in some cases it's like well you know there may have been units across an army who think actually there's three units here and they all do fairly much the same thing so let's take this one away and give this one this option and now you've got you've got two more distinct units that kind of thing
2: Larry Essex would beat me over the head if I didn't ask about historicals
1: on the radar but we've made no
3: decisions on it yet looking back on what's been created for third um what are you most proud of what's kind of what's kind of you kind of pump your fist and think yes this is something that I think is going to really impact the game really positively
1: the book the book is probably the biggest single project we've ever done so you know that book's kept weighing in it i think it's saying like 1.8 kilos it's 400 pages you know it's it's a bigger format book as well than the current the rule book the comic book size that we've done for the the previous edition so it is a bigger book in all dimensions but that's you know the amount of writing and layout and art that's gone into that that book. I think it's probably the best looking thing, and probably be the best reading thing we've ever ever put out, as it's for Kings of War. That's obviously exciting for Kings of War players. Anyone who uh, doesn't get that book, I think is probably going to be missing out just visually and from a kind of just from a background point of view. I know there are a lot of players who probably only use the, the free rules and easy army and things like that. And then they don't, then there's a lot of complaints that they don't know anything about the world or there's no background or anything like that. Well, this is your opportunity to change that and read about the world and learn all about it. Cause there's a lot there. You know, there's, I think the, the rules go from, I think it's page. Well, actually I've got the contents up here. The rules go from page, six The the background section is from page 74 to 229 so there's a lot there and then the army lists to the rest of the book
3: yeah i think that's something that's really welcomed by by story fans but also that kind of that professionalization of it i think will have a real impact we were talking to some players from um malaysia and singapore just earlier today um for an upcoming episode and one of the things they were saying is they wish that mantic products looked as good as some of the other game companies, because they feel it would really help to impact the market there. And I think what you're talking about is stepping that up, you know, giving people something that's that wow factor, so people really want to kind of plunge into the world and get really invested into it. And I think that's, that's only could be positive. And- yeah, I think
1: we we raised the bar. I think we raised the bar with Vanguard. We're raising it again with this. You know, part of part of the the early project work on this, I had the uh, members of the RC, well, the UK members of the RC, came up to my house here on a on a weekend back in last October, I think it was, where we sat down. You know, I. I I came up for the day. I made him lunch. We sat down at my at my uh, at my table, and we just went through everything. This was what we were going to do for the game, etc., uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. I then did a couple of weeks later. I did the same thing with the guys in work. So I had uh, Ben, who's our who does our photography, Duncan, who does our layout, and it's literally that's that's my team. I've got two guys. <laughs> Um, to do all of that stuff, and we had uh, Matt, our video guy, and Rob as well. And we they, they all came over, and we did a day at my house, and we poured through all of our existing books. We poured through loads of workshop books. Uh, we poured through Frostgrave. We went through stuff from Dungeons and Dragons for the, you know loads of RPGs, loads of sci-fi books, all sorts of stuff that we pulled together. So well, what what do we like? What have we done well in the past? What's what does a modern rulebook look like in terms of presentation? How do you show a photograph versus how do you show art? When do you do you, do you show art across two columns? Do you do, do you put it in within the text? You know all that kind of stuff, and then built up how we wanted this rulebook to to look like, and then we kind of sat on that for six eight months until we were ready to go, and then put all that into into action uh, in this book.
3: I think that's going to be apparent, but it's apparent already from just the stuff you've putting out, some of that leak stuff. You know, some of the changes to the format, I think, makes it a little bit more palatable and and kind of user-friendly. So that work is is, is very much recognized. You know, what do you think is going to have the biggest impact on how the game is played? So some of the stuff is, you know, we've seen... Quite fundamental rules like Banechant being moved to melee only, and that's part of that balancing. You know, some of those commonly used rules, things like elite and vicious. How, how, which do you think is going to have the largest impact on how the game is is being played?
1: Well, elite and vicious are also now uh, conditional, so you might have uh, elite melee only uh, or vicious, you know, ranged only. Um, I think the biggest, the biggest one, certainly initially um until people get their, their heads around it and learn how to to move and place uh, more will probably be the, the change to the where you measure charge or take charges from so no longer it's not the leader point anymore it's anywhere across the frontage which you know that I think that will be a change that will catch and surprise a few play and probably delight uh, players as well until everyone starts to just you know integrate it and it becomes normal but I think that will, f- That will probably have the biggest initial visual and spatial uh, impact uh, on the game, and um, as I say, until until
2: people people learn it and and learn how to use it. That smells like Ronnie, though, really, right? Dwarf player, he's tired of you having a unit of gargoyles just off to the left of his horde. He can't charge because he's not within eight inches.
1: Yeah, but like I said, Ronnie doesn't
2: know any of these rules. Yes, he, he hasn't dictated anything. So, Matt, you
4: we've seen a little bit with the changes like to unit size. You know, you guys are introducing the Titanic monsters, you know, we've seen some with chariots now getting a Legion option. Is there anything else kind of in third that has you excited, maybe that's like a unit size change or uh, are you guys thinking about maybe changing uh providing other size units to other entries in the armies is there anything you can talk to about that not
1: initially so things you know that like legions hordes, and that they're all still there i mean we've cleaned up we've we've given there's more classifications so you've got heavy if, so before you had infantry and they could come on uh 20 mil or 25 mil bases and then you had to specify in your list whether which which one it was and where the exceptions were throughout all of them the what the rc have done they've, they've just given every base size its own classification so You'll have uh, infantry on 20 mil, heavy infantry is anything that's a 25 mil base. So where, where sometimes you had large, large infantry on a 40 mil or a 50 mil, well, a large infantry of 40 mil, monstrous infantry of 50 mil bases. So they've just split, you know, they just made all those distinctions all the way through clear you can say you can say a name and you know exactly what its base size is and they they in in themselves could become keywords at some point you know it could be that um you know you might have a a, an aura or something that only affects heavy infantry or only affects monstrous infantry whatever that may be um so that's a possibility but again that's one of those things where it's just cleaning things up something that was just a little add a little wrinkle to it and it's just yeah you know we've got it says it here but it's not in this case well let's just let's just separate those things and, and and make it clean um, but in terms of you know all the, the, the unit sizes um, that people expect will all be there um, other than say like Titans are the distinction for things on a 75 mil base um, and they've got extra height as well. And obviously they're a little bit obviously a little bit their stats are a little bit better and chariots have changed their sizes too but I think Kyle's already covered that one too.
2: One thing I need to ask about I've, I've always been kind of a public, opponent of allies how will we see allies change in the new game because that's that's a contentious subject from time to time
1: allies are still there you know we haven't taken that uh, um, away so but we've we've tried to make it that you know with any ally system what you what you try to avoid um and what people obviously always immediately get around no matter what you try and do is that you don't want allies to be uh, an easy way for people to fix gaps or uh, plug weaknesses in their army by just immediately picking it from a uh, something that um, from the, an army that they're allying with, or always having a go-to unit that everyone takes so you know we've tried to i think with all the with the changes to the to the the army lists um and to slight tweaks to the ally rules i think we've probably solved most of that obviously is like with anything as soon as it goes out into the public domain someone is immediately going to spot something and say, oh i could do that it's like oh, okay we never spotted that one you know you, you'll, you'll never get around that but i think uh, in the most part we've managed to i think keep allies so people can if they want to you know introduce that kind of flavor into their armies but in a in a sensible way that isn't going to then create broken lists or anything like that but with themes as well as we as we roll those ideas of themes out um, taking allies might become less relevant because people might be able to have pick a theme that says actually that represents the army that i want to play and the units i want to use and how i want it to look and what the models i want to paint and convert and everything else and i don't need to take allies now which would be which would be fine
3: i think that's a distinction isn't it between players that want to win at all costs and so will find every tweak the min maxes and people that want to enjoy playing a thematic army and i think balancing yeah. that is always quite tricky but it sounds like you've you've kind of you've got there in terms of that that mastering you know, in terms of that, you know, those themes, and and you know, do we how do we see so Varanger? You know, there's in this kind of crossover between Varanger and Northern Alliance. Is that something you can talk about yet, or is that something that you want to save for later?
1: We'll save that one for later, shall we? Yeah, I
3: figured you might. I I, I gave you a get out then. I shouldn't have done that. One of the things Carl talked about recently was how, for example, the Morful Blade has gone from being a magical artifact to being an ability, being duelist. Uh, and that being kind of a nice piece of flavour so like a racking assassin might have duelist because that fits nicely within that flavour is that something conscious you've done with magical artefacts in kind of like using them only for specific circumstances and taking abilities or themes as a, as a more conscious decision
1: well we certainly looked at uh, what was taking and or what units were taking magical artefacts um, so we've done some work around like that so as I said before we we've, some of them have got split points so that they're you know the ones that are far more impactful on the bigger size units, now cost more. Um, we've also split them into uh, normal artifacts and heroic artifacts. So so ones that only heroes can take, now they're in their own section so you know that's themed from that point of view and then uh you know we've there's there's a sprinkling of new ones added and some taken away that were just maybe a little bit broken or we you know, or we just felt they're not quite right so uh let's remove them at least for now and then and i think we've ended up with quite a nice uh a nice set um you know you don't want to with with special rules as well and these things allow special rules and then you've got auras and then you know you don't want to add too much all at once you know we need you need a good smattering of a a few things uh, so people can start to learn combinations of things and then we can roll that out um, and expand on things as we go but I think you know I think what we've done on Magic items I think is, is was the sensible way to go and probably the way that everyone expected them to go, which is which is good because then it will feel familiar even though people have never seen it before because it was kind of what was what, what was needed and what was expected.
3: Let me ask you already, which army do you think has changed the most?
1: I don't know. It's a good question. I don't I honestly don't know. Uh, certainly in the main in the main rule book, I don't know. Not sure. I think they've all probably changed in subtle ways. Some might play slightly differently to how they did before. You know, we, we've tried to make sure that every army's got several different obvious builds uh, rather than just one is like, oh, well, I'm just going to take that then. And there'll be some ones that we haven't thought of that, 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 that are less obvious, but still interesting. So, we, you know... We're, Try for every army. We always try to make sure that there's plenty of options and synergies and combos and things like that that people can, depending on people's play styles or groups' play styles. You know, um, no two armies will, will will look the same. You know, obviously, there will net lists will always exist, and people will just will, will, will pick will pick from from something someone else has come up with. But you always want a a, a, a ton of variety, and, a, and and themes will help with that. But help help with that down the line. I think probably there's a couple of armies in the armies of Panathor book which are a, a bit more different but I actually think they're more interesting than they were before so um, it actually should be a good thing rather than uh, some, someone to panic about.
3: Yeah one of the major kind of major literature, but bigger changes and I use the word bigger as a pun is the Titans you have talked about a little bit and you know and some of those are the old large monsters just becoming de facto titans because it makes sense for them. Will we see any new ones, ones that we might not expect as part of existing lists?
1: Yep. So there'll be a, there's a new one for the Bissel dwarfs. You'll see in that in that list, um, and that model will be coming out early next year.
3: Whoever's kind of commissioned that artist, you know, in terms of your new models and your new sculpts, the reaction has been overwhelmingly positive. People are really excited about these kind of monsters. And one of the things I like, you know, obviously it's a ranks and flanks games, and part of the attraction is seeing big hordes of infantry or or cavalry across a board, but there's nothing more exciting to draw attention to a game than exciting monsters. And we've seen a number of those released, you know, either existing monsters or or new versions of monsters which are which are are really eye-catching.
1: Yeah, the the sculptors and artists we're using aren't any different to the ones we've used in the past. We've got we've got one or a uh, sculptor and one core concept artists that do uh, probably 60% of our stuff. And then we use other people around, around the edges, certainly out on the sculpting side. But even they're consistent. Um, you know, they've done stuff for us in the past. So, you know, it's it's a lot of it's down to my team changing the way we want things to look or developing and saying, no, we want to move on from that. Or we want, you know, or... and. Get working with them better and finding different painters and and a lot of it you know even the even the older painted stuff if you see it if up close and you hold it in your hand it's like well okay yeah that is a golden demon standard uh you know that our our ex-painter was a golden demon winner you know, slayer sword winner but i think it, we've learned a lot about photography and how to photograph and present models and that's coming out as well not just in the books but in packaging and marketing and everything else so you know it's just like with the the marketing itself and, and and every project we do you know you learn you learn what you did right you learn what you did wrong you know what we've done in the past that, that was that was good what was bad how do we make it better and you, you know it's, it's a constant cycle of 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 learning and um, and then doing things better next time.
2: You know, three or four years ago when you were playing Kings of War, a new player might go, What models do I want to use? Now they say, Well let me go look at the Mantic stuff because I know it's really awesome and you mentioned the Vanguard obviously stepped up their game and all these colossal now Titans coming down the pipe are just fantastic. But Matt, where's the mammoth model? You gave us Strider, you know, that's the one piece that we need to make a complete Mantic ogre army. someone lists somewhere. <laughs> Looking back on the whole project, though, I mean, did it go the way you expected it to go?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Um, I think, well, you you can always do more playtesting, you know, even if if we'd been playtesting for two years – we we would have you, you always constantly tinker at some point you need to draw a line and say okay well it's, it's done it's going out and then we'll we'll continue to work work on things as as you know as stuff comes back in you know speaking to um you know, James and Sophie from Needy Cat Games the guys that did um, Hellboy for us you know so they said you, you can play test forever You know, you can always constantly tinker and stuff like that. So, you know, from that point of view, um, you know, I'm happy from all the work we did in terms of, you know, writing and art and everything else. It's it's, more than happy. So, yeah, I think I think the only thing we underestimated was just how long it takes to lay out a 400 page book. But we got there. We hit the we hit the print deadline. Everyone worked very long hours to do it and we're excited for people to get it in the, in their hands, so they better like
4: it. I'm curious, Matt, your thoughts on, you know, when 2nd Edition came out, right, it kind of happened I think by happenstance or just the nature of the thing, came out really close to Warhammer and Age of Sigmar and a big change in that game system, so we saw a lot of refugees or new people come over and now it feels like in 3rd Edition it's de- it was developing a new edition for a game that had really come into its own, because when you look at back at 2nd Edition, compared to Now, you know, uh, there's podcasts, there's Dash 28, which is a great fan site. Kings of War really has become so much more popular now than it was before. Did that sort of environment affect what you guys were doing with 3rd? And sort of you now know the scope of the community for which you're designing the game for?
1: Obviously, we're aware that the community is much bigger than it. But it was, uh, but it you know that was true from first to second, obviously second to third. I wanted to deliver to all of those XGW players this time round an experience in a book that would feel familiar to them. You know, it would be king, it would be familiar to them in that it was Kings of War, but also familiar to them in the amount of information and visuals that they were being you know hit with um and they could look at that book and just say wow um uh, you know this this is my game this you know this is you know this is where i am now um and this is a book i'm going to remember reading you know for the rest of my gaming life and look back in 20 years time look back and say yeah that was a really that was a that was a good does everyone remember that book yeah it's brilliant yeah yeah, yeah." you know that that's what i wanted that's what i wanted to do and you know and i think looking back at the, the the first edition the second edition i don't think they quite hit that but I think this one will. And I think, you know, so from from my point of view, knowing all those players out there and where they've come from, that's what I wanted to deliver to them.
3: You know, obviously with, with Kyle and Dan sharing your your planned leaks and all that kind of stuff, is there anything else you want us to know that hasn't yet kind of percolated into the Kings of War community kind of collective hive mind? Is there one last kind of... a uh, uh, element to get people excited you kind of uh, feel needs to get out there
1: painted chimera looks amazing
3: when are we going to see it
1: when you get well i'm if you're lucky i might send you a picture at some point but it's in the book yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, it's um uh, it was painted by uh, angel uh for us and he sent it back just in time for us to get it into a couple of places in the book the way we structured the book is it goes rules then background then army lists so within the rules section we, anything that's in colour is colour shots of models rather than artwork as much as possible. And then in the background section, you don't see any models at all. That's all artwork that you see in there. And then in the army list section, each army list starts with probably three or four pages talking about that army um, in terms of fluff and background for, for that army and how it behaves and the units and stuff like that. Then there's probably about another the next Four pages is all the, the units themselves, and then the last two pages is a double spread of gallery page of models for that army, units and heroes and, and everything else. So every every army list follows that that template, and we managed to get the uh, the cameo into the uh, the Northern Alliance one just in time. And there's also a bit at the beginning of the book where there's uh, two people, one of them who might be me. Uh, doing the usual shot of playing the game and laughing and pointing and throwing dice. Um, and the Chimera snuck onto a hill on there as well. Awesome. So any closing thoughts,
4: guys?
2: Just a huge thanks to Matt for coming on the show and giving us a peek behind the curtain to kind of share what went into third edition.
4: Thanks, Matt, for coming on. I think a lot of people, Matt, they love to hear the, like, the actual specifics and snippets. But I think people also like to know like what your guys are meta philosophy is sort of what your goals are as a company and i think fans who are really into kings of war and mantic stuff like knowing that stuff just just right along with what are the changes to x rule or y rule they like to know kind of what you're thinking and what your philosophy is on the design choices you guys make so uh i know we're appreciative as our audiences of you coming on and giving us some of those sort of greater themes and uh thinking that you guys have been putting into effect third i know i'm excited we're
1: all excited
4: (laughs) i'm
3: beyond excited you know and and speaking as somebody i I like to get really immersed into the world hearing kind of your vision for the 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 storyline and the arcs that gives me kind of both as a player and as kind of a lover of kind of the the fluff part of it you know a great deal of uh comfort and excitement and looking forward to that stuff coming out i know the novel releases have been really really good and not just kind of like just for a bit of flavor but actually really good storytelling as well and hearing that as part of an overall arc, I think is is something that's really exciting.
4: You know, and I think that, Rob, you've mentioned it before, I know Steve and I have talked about it, is not only is 3rd going to be great for new players or for existing players, but I think it's going to be a really great opportunity to reintroduce the game. Because imagine someone who saw the second edition rulebook before the first Clash of Kings and that playtest experience of teaching them versus, man, check out this awesome, huge book with all these great models. So that's what I'm excited for, Third is not only uh, current players and new players, but there was tons of old gaming buddies that maybe were still sort of on the fence about Kings of War back in 2015. And now here's another great opportunity to reintroduce the game in a much more professional, slick, sort of grown-up version.
1: Yeah, well, uh, you know that's that's where we're aiming for. You know, there's we 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 know that we know there's a big player base, but we know there's that it's so much bigger than than that the potent the potential number of players so you know the how we presented uh, third edition was was critically important to uh, to or, or just as important to attracting new players into the game as it was for making it a great experience for existing players and so Matt, i think uh, you'll be at clash of kings in a couple of weeks yes i will be i need to as usual because i do it once a year uh, the night before i'll learn more score again well thanks for having me uh, me on guys and thanks for listening everyone uh, you know we're, we're all really excited for, for third edition and I uh, hope you guys have a blast with it so really looking forward for you all to get it in, in, in your hands so uh, keep on countercharging Thanks
0: for listening and we'll see you next time on Countercharge Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at Podcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin MacLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.